Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, if you're visiting, you're new here, we are so thankful that you are here. And I would love to have the opportunity to talk to you or meet you after the service. If it's your first time, we hope that it is your first of many times. So over the um, last couple months, we've been talking about a Vision 22 giving. Jeff mentioned that in the host time. Just want to give you an update on some things that have been happening, even though we've been talking about this for next Sunday. By the way, here's a QR code. If you want to give, you can actually scan that QR code, give electronically. But anyways, we've been talking about raising $500,000, and we've been thinking about and praying about using that money to go towards a new building for our Tonkanic service. Uh, they've been growing out, they've outgrowing their building. They've gone from two services to three services. Also want to use some of that money for new interns, building up and equipping more leaders. And so all we've been doing is talking about it, asking you to think about it, ask you to pray about it. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it. And so far, people from Bridgewater have already begun to give. We've already seen over $110,000 come in. And we've also seen an additional 100000 committed. And so that is amazing that God is already starting to stir and encourage people to give. And so what I've been asking you to do is think about it, pray about it. If you're married, talk to your spouse. But next week is really the big day. And this is for people who call Bridgewater home. If you're a guest, if you're visiting, we just want you to be our guest. This is not for you. Do not feel obligated to give at all. So that's coming up. If you want to give, you can use that QR code. Well, let me tell you about my experience as a junior hire. When I entered junior high, I realized, man, I did not fit in at all. It was so strange. I mean, when I was in elementary school, I don't remember anybody being focused on being cool or popular, but I remember my first day getting off the bus and seeing all these kids in junior high. They had their groups and their cliques and their little tribes of people. They were all like huddled up with their friend groups, and all of a sudden, I realized I did not fit in. And, and so ever since seventh grade, I was working on how do I fit in. I, I wanted to make friends, and I saw these different kids, and I saw the way they were dressed. I saw the way they acted. I saw the music that they listened to. And I began to change everything about me. Because I remember that first day, even in the cafeteria, with my tray of food, just scanning the horizon, looking for oh, man, is there anybody that I know? Is there anybody that I recognize? And is there an empty seat anywhere near them? And it was so awkward. All I wanted to do was fit in because I compared myself to all of them. And as I looked at all of them, they had more friends. They were more athletic. They were better at school. And they just seemed to have things that were better. And so I looked at them, and I wanted more of that. I wanted what they had because they were better, they were smarter, they were more popular, they were more talented. And so I saw them, maybe they were even richer or wealthier or faster, or they just had more. And as I looked at their lives and I compared their lives to mine, I wanted what they had. But I also realized that this problem was not just a junior high problem. This was something that has plagued me for my entire life. I've seen other people's lives. I've 
wanted what they had. I wanted what was better. I wanted what was more. And now as an adult, we have this thing called social media, right, where everybody posts what's going on in their lives, and they post their highlight reels. And we see what's going on in their lives, and we see, oh, they have a nicer car, they have a bigger house, they have a better job, they go on cooler vacations, they just have more, they're smarter, they're more healthier, they're just better, right? And we compare our lives to theirs, and we feel like, oh, I want what they have. They have more, they have better. So how do we keep up? Can we keep up? And that's the question we're going to answer today because the good news is you and I are not the first ones to struggle with this. In fact, in the Bible, there's a guy, he's a king, his name is King Solomon, and he addresses this very question, how do we deal with or how do we keep up with others when more seems to be the answer? You see, in America, we've bought into the lie that more is always better. But that more actually creates this envy, creates this comparison, creates this desire that doesn't always bring happiness. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we keep up when everything is telling us you need more? So grab your Bibles, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's in the middle of your Bible. Find Psalms and Proverbs. Turn to the right. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the backstory. King Solomon is the writer, and King Solomon is the wealthiest person, probably the wealthiest person to ever live, period. In fact, every single year, he had $40 billion of gold come in. $40 billion. Not including other forms of income, trades, businesses, not including what other governors and kings would bring him. And so his combined amount of wealth was worth $2.2 trillion. He's probably the wealthiest person who literally ever lived. But not only that, one time God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, if you could have anything, what would you want? Blank check. And he asked for more wisdom. So not only is he the wealthiest, the richest person, he's also the wisest person besides Jesus to ever walk the earth. He experienced more than any of us have ever experienced in our entire lives. He experienced more pleasure than any of us in our entire lives. And he's at the end of his life, and he's writing this book of Ecclesiastes, and it's filled with wisdom. And so that's where we find chapter 4. Verse 4, here's what he writes. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. And so he begins to say, hey, when you chase after achievement, when you chase after money, when you chase after stuff, he says it's all meaningless. And that word meaningless is the word breath or vapor. You know when you go outside and, and eventually it gets cold, hopefully it won't for a while, but you go outside and it's cold and you breathe and you can see your breath. That's what he's talking about. He's saying everything, when you chase after those things, it's, it's vapor. It's there for a little bit and you can't grab it. It's gone. And so the land you own, 
is vapor. The house or home you live in is vapor. Chasing after a better car, vapor. Chasing after wealth or retirement, vapor. The grade you're chasing after, sorry parents, vapor. <laughs> Having all of the perfect answers. Having your closet perfectly organized, vapor. Becoming healthier, fitter, smarter, climbing the corporate ladder. He's saying it's there and it's gone. It is all vapor. When he says meaningless, he's not ascribing value. He's saying it's this. It's vapor. It's there and it's gone. And so when we pursue things, we chase after these things, money, stuff, possessions, he says it's all meaningless. It's there, you can't grab onto it, and then it's gone. And then, look at this. He says that it's like chasing after the wind. That's pretty funny. Now, today, when you go home, here's your assignment. Go into your backyard, your front yard, your street, wherever it is that you want to go, and then just wait there. And as soon as you feel the wind, just take off and run as fast as you can. Run as hard as you can, as long as you can, until you actually chase the wind. Don't worry about what your neighbors are saying about you. Don't worry about what anybody else is laughing at you about. Just say like, hey, I'm trying to grab the wind. That's what Solomon is saying. And so when you have that desire to go after more stuff, I think we need to remind ourselves, you know, no, nah, that's chasing the wind. That's, that's chasing the wind. New shoes, chasing the wind. New clothes, chasing the wind. Better car, just chasing the wind. And he says it all comes out of envy. It's all stemming out of this envious desire for more. Paul Tripp says that that feeling of envy is the result of an interpretation. It's a distorted interpretation of life. That when I'm envious, when I'm wanting more, I have a twisted, distorted interpretation of life. And so it, it says, okay, I want more. Envy is focused on me. I am the center of my life. And more stuff makes life better. Less stuff makes life worse. And so that's a distorted view. It's a distorted interpretation of life. But envy is also idolatrous because it makes me someone who is worshiping the creation and not the creator. It's all about chasing after more stuff, chasing after more money, chasing after more pleasure, and I'm pursuing the creation and not the creator. But it's also really self-righteous because it's that distorted view. Envy says, I deserve more. Envy says, I deserve better. Give me that. I deserve this. And I'm really becoming a self-righteous person. But envy also leads to more sin. It's that distorted view. It's that distorted interpretation that when I'm envious, I begin to think things that are not sin, that are not godly. I begin to think, think things that are sinful. I begin to chase things and, and say things and do things that are not godly. You know, it's like if $1 is good, $2 is better. If one car is good, two cars are better. But is really more always better? I mean, I bet some of you probably like chocolate, but I like chocolate. But after 
two candy bars, after three candy bars, after four candy bars, I'm like, mm, I'm not sure more is better. And then we get to 10 candy bars, I'm like, yeah, that was not better. That was not better. I mean, when Halloween comes, some of your kids, maybe some of you will just like overload on candy and sugar. And then the next morning you'll be like, yeah, that was not better. More is not always better. And so here's what he says. All toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy. It's meaningless that we work so hard for things, toys, trinkets, pleasures. And he says it's all meaningless. It doesn't make you happier. Now, it might make you happy for a moment, for a day, a week, maybe in a month. But eventually, it just leaves you wanting more. And so if you really want to be happy, happiness comes from wanting less. That's what Solomon is getting at it. This is, I, I, I need to cultivate a desire for contentment. I need to cultivate and grow this contentment in my own life. We need to learn to want less. Because our culture is telling us that if you have more, if you have bigger, if you have better, then you'll actually be happy. But look what he says in verse 5. He says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. So here's the picture of the fool. They take their hands, they interlock them like this, and they just fold them. They just sit like this. They're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm not doing anything. I know I have skills, abilities, things I could do, but I'm just disengaged. I'm checked out. He says the fool folds their hands, and they are lazy. They don't do anything. And that word for fool is stubborn, thick-headed. They're a blockhead, and they're only pursuing their own desires, and they're just checked out. I'm not doing anything. And it says, and they ruin themselves. Literally, they, they destroy, they devour themselves, they eat their own flesh, meaning they continue to make bad choices, and with those bad choices come consequences, and those consequences ruin or destroy themselves. But then he says, let me show you a couple other word pictures with the words of hand. Look at verse 6. He says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. I saw something, and it was, it was vapor under the sun. I was grabbing at it, but I couldn't get it. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Go back to verse 6. He says, better. That word better is the word that we see in Genesis. When God finished creating everything, he says it was all good. It was very good. Same word, better. God finished everything. He was done creating. He said, that is better. That is good. And Solomon says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls. That two handfuls, it's the idea of taking your hands and just cupping them together and saying, give me whatever you can give me. Just fill it up. I want more. 
I mean, if I, had, if I call my kids into the kitchen, I'm like, hey, guys, you want some M&Ms or you want some chocolate chips? They're putting their hands out like this, right? Fill it up, Dad. Like, they don't want to let any of those M&Ms or chocolate chips to fall through those fingers. They want to get as much as they can. They're grasping for more and more and more. That's the picture here. I mean, it's like if you went on a hike, and you were hiking all day, and two hours into it, you run out of water, and you go two hours without water, and finally you come across this stream of clean water. You're not even sure if it's clean. It just looks clean. You're just taking that handful, two handsful, and cupping that water and putting that into your mouth, grasping for more, climbing that ladder. That's the picture that Solomon is painting. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, it's either the lazy person, the fool who just folds their hands and does nothing, or it's cupping both my hands and grasping for everything. I want as much as I possibly can. But Solomon says it's not an either or. There's actually a better way to live. And he says the better way, go back, is one handful. It's that open hand saying whatever you, whatever you want to give me, God. This is the hand, this is the, the posture of contentment. That I'm able to receive with an open hand, but I'm also able to give with this open hand. And so many of us, we go through life either with our hands folded, going, eh, whatever, I'm done. Or we go through life and we're just like, give me more of that. Give me more. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. It's got to be faster. It's got to be smarter. I just need more. Or do we go through life with an open hand? Which one of those postures best describes you? Which best characterizes you as a person, as a whole? If I'm being honest, there's probably been times where I've been all three of those. And so Solomon is saying it is wiser, it is better, it will bring tranquility, it will bring peace and rest if you go through life with that open hand. So he says, happiness comes from wanting less. I need to cultivate contentment in my life. Warren Wearsby says this, why have both hands full of profit if that profit costs you your peace of mind, and possibly your health. Having more stuff, having more money doesn't bring satisfaction. In fact, sometimes it costs our health. We stay up way too late thinking about, worrying about all of the possible things that could go wrong because we have a job, we got a side hustle, we're running this, we're running that, and we're just grasping for more. And we don't really get the satisfaction. We don't really get happiness. But it begins to erode and eat away at us. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. So what? Okay, well, back then, if you were married, a woman would not be able to inherit any of your wealth. Sorry, ladies. So he says, there's a man out there. He's working really hard. I mean, he's just getting after it. But he doesn't have a son or a brother. Meaning he's working. He's achieving all of this great stuff. But if he dies, 
he has nobody to leave it to. And so he says there was no end to his toil. He was just working and working and working, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Lots of money, lots of achievement, lots of stuff, but he wasn't content. And then he asked this incredible question. Look at verse 8. He says, for whom am I toiling? That's an incredible question. That's a brilliant question that we should all ask. Who are you working for? Who are you working for? I'm not talking about what company you work for or who your boss is or maybe you're self-employed. But are you working for you or are you working for God? Because when I work for me, when I pursue the kingdom of Tim, which is very, very small, I end up chasing after all sorts of things. And Psalm would say, it's vapor. It's just there and it's gone. It's meaningless. You're chasing after the wind, Tim. So who are you working for? This guy, he's getting after it. He's going after more. He's going after better. He's going after bigger. But he's not really satisfied. He has no contentment. He has money. He has wealth. He has lots of stuff. But he's not content. Slide over to chapter 5, verse 10. Here's what Solomon says. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. The love of money, the love of all that stuff, all their income is vapor. It's chasing after the wind. Verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Solomon is saying, you can work hard. You can get after it. You can chase all these things. You can climb that ladder. But it brings you more problems. It may bring you insomnia. Because you can't sleep. Because your mind continually thinks and worries and wonders about all these different things. And as your money grows, you get more stuff. And with that comes more problems. And with more money, you have more people coming to you asking for more favors and more handouts and more and more and more. And so as you chase after more, you don't actually become more satisfied. You become dissatisfied. And so some of us love money. And some of us love what money can buy. And we don't actually have more money. We just have more credit cards. And we just keep spending, even though the money isn't there. And we just accumulate more stuff. And with more stuff, we get what? More debt. Because we are chasing after a God. The God of money, the God of stuff, the God of pleasure, the God of achievement. And it never delivers on what it promises. So happiness comes from keeping less. Some of you are hoarders. Okay, I've not even been to your house but I know you can't fit your car or your truck in your garage. Right? It is filled with stuff. And what if, 
What if actually less stuff would satisfy us? What if less stuff would actually help us cultivate that kind of contentment? As a junior hire, I changed everything about me, and I wasn't satisfied. I thought more friends. I thought more athleticism. I thought more popularity. I thought better this, better that would feel better and make me satisfied. But it left me wanting more. And as an adult, I still feel that desire to chase after more things. How many of you have bought something? And, and, and when it arrives, you're like, yes, it's like my birthday, but it's not. And it shows up in an Amazon package. And you rip it open, you're like, yes, awesome. New shirt, new jeans, new blouse, new shoes, new whatever, new gadget, new trinket. And you're like, this is awesome for a day, for maybe a week. And you're like, eh, it really wasn't that great. I guess I really didn't need it. It didn't really change my life. And then you went and you bought something else a little bit later, and then again, and again. And man, if we just started peeling back your Amazon account or your whatever account, we'd see all sorts of fun, ridiculous purchases that didn't really satisfy. So what? More money, more wealth doesn't give you actual peace or satisfaction, but maybe it brings more problems and maybe insomnia. So what do we do? First, I would say we need to step into a posture of contentment. We need to be a people who just go into life, not with our hands folded, not with our hands cupped asking for more, but one hand open. So I can give, so I can receive, and grow in my contentment. Second, I would say we need to declutter our lives. If you want more contentment, you might need to go on a stuff diet. You might need to just unload some stuff. You have more stuff in your garage than you actually need or use. Some of you have probably hundreds of shirts or sweaters or whatever. And you haven't worn in 10 years. But you're just holding on to them just in case. But what if you gave them away? Or you, you brought them to the thrift store? Or you sold them somewhere? Whatever. What if you went on a stuffed diet and you completely decluttered your life? And you just started looking through. I haven't used this in two years. I don't need it. I haven't worn this in two years. I don't need it. And just started getting rid of stuff. Give it away. Sell it throw it away, whatever, but there's so much stuff in our lives that we don't actually need. Third, we need to remind ourselves of the grace of God, that you and I, we don't actually need more stuff. In fact, we don't actually deserve more stuff. And the grace of God reminds us that we deserve nothing. As a follower of Jesus, I deserve nothing but it should show me that I am surrounded by God's amazing, glorious grace. Every single day, you and I, we have more than we deserve, don't we? Food to eat, clothes to wear, people to spend time with, maybe a car to drive. 
the fact that you have the ability to think and do things at school or work, that is all God's grace. And so I wonder if we begin to go through life and declutter, if we begin to go through life and with a hand of contentment, would that alleviate some of the stress, anxiety, and fear that we deal with? Would that grow the contentment that we want? So that's my challenge to you, that this week you would begin to do some of those things. You would walk through life with a posture of contentment. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, we are amazed by your grace. We're blessed that we get to be called your sons and your daughters. And we're incredibly thankful for Solomon's take on life and how you used him to write and give an account of what is going on. And we get to just learn from his perspective as you carried him along as he wrote this book of Ecclesiastes. God, I recognize that so many times I want things for my own desires, my own pleasures. I think that these things, stuff, money will satisfy me. God, I confess, I, like many of us, have a distorted interpretation of life where I've placed myself in the center and I begin to pursue things for the kingdom of Tim. God, I pray for every single person in this room that we would cultivate contentment, that we would cultivate a posture of that open hand and we would run after you. I pray all this in Christ's name.